0: Welcome to the LabOp Leaders series, a showcase of global change agents and experts in healthcare and laboratory management. Here's your host, LabOp Global founder
1: Robert Farias.
0: In this episode, I was pleased to interview Thomas Julian Irabo. Born and raised in Nigeria, Thomas provides his perspectives on the importance of One Health. He covers the junction between One Health and systems thinking. And introduces his unique style of using games to spread the concept and understanding to a global audience. I hope you enjoy this episode. We're pleased to have Thomas Julian Irabo with us. Um, welcome, Thomas. How are you?
1: I'm good. Great. Nice to, have, nice to have the opportunity to be here, actually.
0: Yeah. Thank you. So, uh, Thomas, can you give us a bit of a background in, on how your, uh, how your journey into the into the lab field began. So so what are your academic background?
1: Okay, so um, I am a veterinarian by profession. I studied in the University of Ibadan, that's in Nigeria. And after my course as a veterinarian, I did a master's in the integrated management of health risks. So everything that's covering One Health. And then right now I work as an assistant professor at the University of Liege. And I also am doing a PhD on game design and um, how that relates to learning more about thinking systemically in the context of One Health.
0: Great. So how about we, we take a quick step back, Thomas? Why don't you give us a bit of a description of what One Health is?
1: Okay. Well, there are many, many ways to, to, to approach that subject. And I guess for me, I see One Health first of all as a, a philosophy or or a way of life in the sense that it regroups um, the mindfulness and the understanding that things are connected. Things are not, um, you don't have an action that happens somewhere and the consequences that come out of that are not linked. There are things that happen in these different sectors, in the animal sector, the human sector and the environment, which is like the base form where animals and humans live So the actions that we take have an impact on ourselves individually as the human beings, but also on the animals that live there and the environment that holds us. So when I look at One Health, I look at it as the connection between man, animal, and the environment and how to understand this connection to be able to act more sustainably in the near future and for your future. I hope that helps.
0: (laughs) No, no, it it does. It definitely provides a framework for for, for us to consider. So uh, from a One Health perspective as well, so how does someone, obviously from the veterinary practice, you had uh, likely some exposure towards the animal side. And how did that initial shift towards One Health take place for you?
1: Well, for me, it was very interesting because when I was working at a vet, I was working in Nigeria in Abuja. And I left to go to France because um, there was a bit of a problem with my beliefs, my core beliefs and how I was seeing what people were doing or how they were acting based on their animals and and all that. As a veterinarian, I'm there to provide the medicine, the treatment and to, to take care of the animal, because I know the animal has a huge impact on the happiness of the human being. But when you're faced with other um, factors like the emotional um, economic factors and and the cultures and beliefs that prevent people from um, doing or going all the way for their animals, it didn't really work well with me. so I left my practice and I went to France and I worked on a farm for about a year and during this time on the farm, I sort of started understanding a bit more about the importance of an ecosystem, the importance of Um, managing what you do and how your actions have an impact on the environment that you're in. And I had the rare chance to work on a farm that is called a pedagogic farm. So these people, um, wonderful people, teach um, people from other departments, from other um, disciplines about permaculture. And permaculture is this idea of planting things and having your animals and you, the actions that you take is all in a durable or sustainable sense. So the way you plan things, the machines that you use, the things that you need to add to the the um, what's it called, to the, the environment, being mindful of what you're doing and how it impacts the environment, roughly that. So I learned a lot about this and I was like, wow, this is pretty awesome. But I had no notion of One Health then. I just knew that these people were taking into consideration how their actions have an impact on the environment and the animals that, they, that live with them on the farm. And through that, I met a veterinarian that just came to buy some legumes. you just buying some vegetables. And I spoke to him about my interest in this. And that was how he told me about the possibility of having a master's in Liege in Belgium. And so I contacted a couple of people. We had a couple of discussions and I was accepted for the master's. So it was really based on opportunity, you know, just leaving and going somewhere to explore something else.
0: And speaking of opportunity, Thomas, how does someone from Nigeria decide to go work on a farm in France?
1: <laughs> well, um, first of all, I am n- not 100%. I, I mean, I'm 100% Nigerian. I grew up in, in Nigeria and everything. But my mother is half French, half Nigerian. And I was, I was looking for a way to, to do something else. I was at a point where I wanted to try something new. And I saw something online which is called woofing and it's for everybody because um, it's a W-W-O-O-F-I-N-G. It's a way by which you can go and live in a place for a while and you work with them um, and they feed you. You have, um, they can, they give you shelter and they give you food, but then you work and you learn. So I was like, okay, that's pretty awesome. And I chose this farm and they accepted me to come there to spend uh three months with them that was my initial intention go to france go and work on a farm for three months learn a bit about the farm life and all that just change scenery a little bit and during those three months i fell in love with the idea of being a farmhand and i was there for six months which changed to one year and i was like wow so (laughs) i am a farmer now and i think the other thing was i wanted to learn french as well I wanted to better my French, So I used those two as one, kind of, yeah.
0: Okay. So you end up uh, being accepted to the master's program in Liege. Is the mm-hmm. master's program focused on One Health? Is it focused on uh, integrated management health risk, as you mentioned earlier?
1: Mm-hmm. Is that so the- when, and that's, I think that's an awesome question because I didn't know about One Health when I started the master's. Okay. I knew that the master's was based on the integrated management of something. And I think that also regroups what One Health means because health risks, if we look at most people that look at health from a um, health perspective, which is where I'm, that's what my discipline is around health is that there are zoonotic diseases, the diseases that touch animals um, and can also be transmitted to human beings, right? Or there are some complex problems or complex scenarios that regroup the activities that humans have on animals and the environment. And these complex problems, they don't stop at the basis of human animal environment, but they bring in the economics of it, they bring in culture, they bring in traditions. All these little details that people don't usually take into account when making decisions, it regroups all of that. So when I started this course, the integrated management of health risks, they were helping us to understand that to look at a complex problem, you're not just going to look at the medical aspect of it. Because if you do that, you're only going to treat, you're looking for a quick fix, a quick solution to something. But if you only address the problem as a quick fix, you're going to forget that there's a whole underlying structure that guides what the problem is. And that means the problem is going to repeat itself continuously. And which is why we can see now based on, for example, COVID-19 or we look at um, antimicrobial resistance. These problems are complex problems because they span across not just different sectors, but also span across our beliefs, our opinions on things. And that goes down to our mental models and the ways that we see the world or perceive the world. So it, it becomes a lot more interesting, but a lot more confusing and it increases the level of uncertainty that is present in the world. And that now goes to how, to, how do we manage or how do we act despite the uncertainty?
0: Interesting. And so does that, does that then lead to your, um, to your intense interest in systems thinking,
1: of course? Exactly. And that's where systems thinking came in. Because I was thinking to myself, how am I supposed to? You know that moment where you are faced with the realization that, whoa, these things are complex, you know, because there are problems that are simple. If I'm hungry, um, it's a problem I need to eat. Once I eat, my problem is solved, cool. But then when you back it up by um, government cannot provide money, we don't have um, enough resources, there's no, it becomes a lot more complex than it is. And yet we still have to make decisions um, based on that. But to be able to make it a, a proper decision, a decision that is sustainable, a decision that will not cause more harm than good, you have to understand what the problem is. And to do that, you need to structure it. And to structure something, sometimes we think it's easy by thinking, well, I, in my opinion, I think everybody does a bit of systems thinking. It's, it's our normal way of addressing some problems. But sometimes we don't go all the way because we don't have the information that is necessary. And because we don't open our mind to the fact that there's some information that might be missing. So for me now is getting to that realization that, wow, things are difficult. Things are crazy. There's so much uncertainty happening in the world, but still we have to act. And that realization, although it's scary, is also comforting to think that, That just means we don't know everything. And that means there's room to learn and there's room to grow and there's room to evolve and there's room to change. And that's what pushes me to want to know more about systems thinking and how that can play a role in making more sustainable decisions for our future.
0: Interesting, and I think the, so you're you're obviously bringing the perspective of sustainability and, you know, We'll discuss permaculture in, in, in another podcast and another topic area. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I'm a bit familiar with some of the work of Bill Mollison and some of the other people in that space as well. But um, cool. I, I think what what I'm curious to understand is how do you see the One Health approach impacting sort of the human health side of it? So naturally, the sustainability component ha- plays a major role. But there's obviously some uh, more and more attention these days. You had mentioned the AMR before, the antimicrobial resistance issues. Cool. Um, have you seen, or in, in part of your work, has there been any attention focused towards um, how a more in-depth understanding of the One Health approach uh, could actually be beneficial to specifically guide improvements in human health?
1: Oh, yes, definitely. Um, I can even give you an example of a, a study that I did with a couple of master's students in Nigeria, um, in Ibadan, for example. We, we um, had a partnership to um, understand community engagement in the fight against antimicrobial resistance, but looking at it through a one health lens. So what we tried to understand was, how can we understand the hotspots, the areas where people don't normally, um, uh, how do I put it, they don't normally understand that these things that they're doing, the actions that they're doing could lead to antimicrobial resistance. So based on the environment that they're living in the animals that they have um how they manage their situations in that community and that that um sorry my french is always coming in
0: it, yes <laughs> it'll
1: be good that we keep it in english but um we try to understand using a one health approach trying to see if we just take um, three, three blocks, animals, humans, and the environment, and then we put antimicrobial resistance in the middle, we want to understand what the interactions between humans, the animals, and the environment that can lead to a promotion or a dem a How do I say that? Demotion. Demotion, yes, I don't know, of, <laughs> of antimicrobial resistance in that community. So we did a mapping process. We wanted to map out how, first of all, the perceptions of people, how they perceive antimicrobial resistance, but also what their environment looked like. Because a lot of things in systems, you know, and systems thinking and and One Health plays a huge role in the environment. And I think it's, it's a big deal because a lot of people forget that for animals and human beings, the only place we have to live in and and thrive is our environment. So the actions that we take affect deeply how our environment would either thrive or not. And this would in their turn affect the way we are either healthy or sick and all of that. So we try to map out the environment in this community in Nigeria and help them to see, because it was a participative mapping process, We brought in different disciplines and different people that were in that community. So ranging from the doctors to the people that were cleaning, the people that were farming, the people that had um, animal husbandry or chickens in that area. And we sat them down together to look at their area, their community, and to now identify hotspots based on just all of them talking and mapping and describing what was going on to find areas where they didn't even know that they were contributing to antimicrobial resistance. So for a quick example, when I can link the animals to the human beings, they had a chicken coop, for example, and, and this they used to throw, like their, their waste disposal wasn't optimal, right? So the areas where the chickens had access to the waste, and this waste was also from hospitals or from pharmacies. And what they didn't understand was by dumping waste there, It leaves it open, first of all, to raining conditions. If it rains, that can wash into the groundwater. And that would affect the way that they consume. The water they're consuming is now full of antibiotics. For example, the water they might give to their dogs or they might give to the chickens that are going to drink or even the chickens going to peck from there. And then the direct contact between the man that has the chicken coop and him selling the chicken to other people, there can be residues in the meat. So trying to think about how all the little actions line up and how people don't really see the, the effect of the environment on everything that is going on. We try to map that out using this One Health approach. I don't know if that made any sense.
0: <laughs> it makes a lot of sense, actually. Yeah. And having seen, having seen some of the, uh, the pit style um, um, waste disposal services System, exactly. Say, in some in some locations, I can appreciate how, how easily that could take place, particularly mm. if they're not managed correctly.
1: Yeah.
0: Um, and i have seen some of that in person, unfortunately. But uh, so help me just understand, then Thomas. So, what is the way forward for some of these situations? So obviously, you're bringing up a scenario of a particular project done in a particular context in a particular location. How does yeah. that How does that move forward and get translated to a broader community to educate communities to educate? Um, other other spots where mm. some knowledge like that which in large sense maybe seems basic i think in some context, if you sort of think in a system's basis to begin with this comes across as as uh, logical practice just rational just the way you're going to think um, mm-hmm. but obviously it's not something that's pervasive um, enough i should say yeah so how does that then get translated to the communities how does that how do we move forward from this point to the next point of saying okay how do we get information like that across to people Or does it stop at the research setting
1: well i which is beautiful because what we try to do is action research so the research that we carried out with this with the community in nigeria was based off of they themselves discovering these things so in in a bid to to educate them right they had the hands-on experience of designing this map themselves they had the hands-on experience of understanding the connections that were there because they spoke as one group. And what happens most of the time is that people create um, sectoral silos. If we look at disciplinary silos, we say, okay, that the medical guys, they stay on their own. We have the people that are in the community, they're on their own and that. So we kind of segregate based on a system of hierarchy that we put on ourselves consciously or, or unconsciously. And what happens is that this prevents people from communicating. It prevents people from talking and and understanding their different perspectives. It prevents people from understanding how much they are connected if they're living in one environment and in one community at large. I mean, if we can go as big as the global look of things and global health and the world, because even if we start from small, closed communities and we grow bigger, it's the same process. It's the same art of understanding the relationships that we have amongst ourselves and understanding that we need to participate together to be able to get things done. But we can't neglect the fact that participation sometimes is hard. We can neglect the fact that people have their traditions and their cultures and their beliefs, which sometimes lead to some people being neglected or some people being in a minority group and not having their voices heard. So what I feel that is important in this sense is that bringing the community together and using what we use as a participatory tool, like a game, this immediately broke a lot of boundaries and it allowed people to have their voices heard and to co-create something together. And that co-creation, we hope, is going to lead to them wanting to understand more and to create better synergies amongst the um, how do I put it, amongst the siloed sectors that they've created for themselves unconsciously. We want them to see that to be able to arrive at a better solution, at a more sustainable future, you have to work together.
0: So you mentioned um, games, Thomas, and that, that brings me to the next point of this. Is So you've mentioned earlier your, uh, your current passion towards game design. So can, mm. we, can we discuss that a little bit more depth and, and the connection between the One Health approach and uh, game design?
1: Okay. Um, well, I think it boils down to the complexity of things. So a lot of times, and I would, boil, I, would I had a recent talk with uh, a Professor Gerald Midgley, who is a systems um, theorist, and he gave me one excellent sentence. He, he was like something called the relevance theory. When people feel that what they want to learn can impact their lives and is important, yes, they would like to do it. but when the workload that is required to be able to achieve that is high, they' will most likely not learn it. So you can, you can look at something as complex as one health to be able to explain the depth of one health, to explain the depth of thinking systemically. there are a lot of Methodologies. There are a lot of theories. There are a lot of things that you can feel a ten thousand page article on. Sometimes people don't have that energy, except those who, like me and other people who are really interested in knowing more. You take the time to read. But what I what I saw was that people need to learn these things. People need to know, even if it's just a bit, even if it helps them to pause before making a decision and say, hmm, this solution that I'm proposing, what could, the, what problems could arise from my solution? You know, if I can get people to think just a little bit like that, then maybe they can now say, okay, I would like to know more now. I would like to, to take that step further and to research more and to, to become more educated on this. But to do that, you need to lower their workload. You need to lower what they would need to be able to understand it. And that's why I went to the, the opinion of games. Everybody plays games. You can look at it as on PS5, like, uh, uh, which game is there now? FIFA 22 or something. Those are some type of games. People play chess, people play Monopoly, people play Candy Crush on their phone people have games between themselves or let's do a guessing game or let's do I spy with my little eye. There's so many different types of games, right? Mm -hmm. And what happens is that it creates an atmosphere that is first of all, freeing. There are no, there are no um, boundaries. It kind of brings you to that state of being just having fun. And when you have fun, you learn a lot. And I see that in the games that we play. Whether or not the game seems absolutely uh, trivial, there's still some things that you learn. You know, having to analyze what this is or having to decide quickly or having to to understand a complex um, series of steps to do to be able to achieve a particular result. And all this thing is welcomed with open arms because it is not a manuscript, it's not an article. It's not uh, strict and precise. It is, oh, I'm having fun while I'm doing this. So I said, how do I pass on something as complex as systems thinking, as one health, as uh, yeah, all of that to people who might not see the importance of it, but I know that they would need this. Why not try a game? And that's where it came to, you know, that's where I started my thesis on on um, game creation and more importantly, the creation of a learning context, because at the end of it all, a game can be just for fun, but I am focused on games that teach you something.
0: Very good. Okay, I'll stop there. And so, uh, no, that, that's excellent, Thomas. I think that, that gives us a good highlight of of. Uh of the, the elements you're working on. So give us a bit of an example of what a game would be like. Because obviously, as you mentioned, there's there's many different ways to play a game. There's many different yes. types of games out there. So in your particular context of what you're what you're working on these days, um, yeah. describe for us, and I appreciate without the visual, it's a bit harder to do, but just give us a context of what a game would be like for you.
1: Okay. Well, for me, I've become a huge fan of choose your own adventure games. And the reason why, I don't know if you... To explain a choose your own adventure game, it's, you have a, you have a storyline. It's basically storytelling. You've created a story and you want people to make decisions and based on their decisions, they get an outcome or a consequence to this decision. So and they two children,
0: the, just a brief example, two children walked up to a abandoned house in the woods and now they exactly. have a choice. Do they knock on the door or do they walk away?
1: Well, they walk away. Yes. And based on that, they see what is going to happen. So the consequence of their actions. Right. So that is the choose your own adventure game. And I thought it was so interesting because first of all, it's, I mean, the way I started thinking about it was it gives you a chance to, to explore and to see how your actions can lead to some certain consequences. And this action and consequence thing is a huge deal in decision-making. You know, people don't have the chance of playing out an action and seeing the consequence and saying, no, 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 that's a horrible consequence. I have to redo that. The consequence that comes after is based on the choice that you made in the real life. So showing people how the choices they're making can affect other areas. I thought it was the best way to help them understand the complexity of things and how important it is to look and to to think first before taking a choice. So the game that I'm creating is based on understanding choices, but also participating before taking a choice, actually structuring the problem, actually understanding the different perspectives of different actors before making a decision. So that this englobes the qualities of the uh, systems thinker, to be able to understand the perspectives of people, to be able to understand the relations that are between them and to see the interactions, not just the people, but how they create an outcome. And to do that, I thought the most, first of all, easiest way based on resources that I have at my disposal, but also a way by which the game can evolve. And when I talk about evolution, I'm talking about the sustainability of things. Because for me, I believe that to be able to create something and to ensure that people learn from it, it has to be an evolving process. So my game as a choose your own adventure game, the end goal is for people to create or to start thinking about the possible futures based off of this game and to be able to add to this and which is why I'm making sure that the game that is being created is done with tools that can be easily used by other people. It's done with material that people can use themselves to recreate things. So the baseline of my game is storytelling. That's the baseline. Creating a story is also the best way of explaining what is going on. I I went back to look at literature on storytelling and how important it is for passing on messages. I mean, in all, look back to even biblical times, to be able to pass on message, you tell a story. Articles that are being written, a lot of times they use a lot of storytelling. People's biographies, things that are going on in people's lives, the news, all that is based on creating a context, creating a story for people to follow. And so why don't I give you an opportunity to visualize your story, to visualize your context and to see how that context in its own is complex and to help you to analyze that complexity during the creation of the story. So, that's, awesome.
0: that's, that's very, very interesting, Thomas. I think we're quite interested to see how this progresses. And I also think there's a, a tremendous potential to, to involve extremely large audiences in this as well. And, and yeah. the opportunity for it to scale beyond Uh, beyond small settings is quite phenomenal uh, Mm. when you think about the potential of it so so we certainly wish you well in that adventure so Thomas thank you (laughs) uh, I want to take I want to take a few seconds here as well so um, you you have your own podcast uh, where I understand that you interview quite a few guests uh, particularly around systems thinking could you maybe just give us give the audience a bit of an insight into what they would find if they look up your podcast
1: okay so um, it didn't come out initially as a podcast it came out as I was looking for a way to to continue um, exploring One Health, to continue teaching people a a bit more about about One Health. And and it's called the Integrated Research and Training for One Health, IRT, or INTEREST. So, Integrated Research and Training, INTEREST. And I thought it was um, a way by which I could showcase or help people understand a bit more about the complexities in One Health and in that way of systems thinking through a fun way, through a way by which they don't have to read so much. They can hear from from people in the field. They can help to, to relate to their own experiences and to understand how these thought processes are very important for our lives right now. So initially, we started off by creating a site, an area where people can Um, meet with mentors, people that have experience in these areas, and to be able to create research topics on One Health, to be able to have a resource, uh, uh, sorry, a pool of resources to help them to further their research or their potential in understanding and exploring One Health and its approach. Then we saw that that was a bit difficult because people didn't know what One Health was. So How can we help them to know what it is and then put them in contact with people that can help them to grow in this field? And that's where we started talking about, let's make some videos, let's talk to some people, let's ask people what One Health means to them. That was where it all started from. We started doing some short podcasts of about 30 seconds, one minute maximum. Tell us what One Health means to you. And a lot of people got in on that. I think I had about 30 or 40 different people, students, professionals from around the world who would just send us videos. And I thought that was really awesome. I'm like, okay, this is cool. How do we scale up from this? And so we started creating themes on different areas on on topics that were um, complex that involved a One Health mindset. And so we touched topics on climate change. We touched um, a lot on right now on interdisciplinarity, the importance, Of different disciplines and how knowing a bit more about how your discipline can contribute to one health is an essential stage because sometimes a lot of things that prevent people from working together is because they have no knowledge on what the other person can offer so we try to find professionals in different fields and different disciplines to talk a bit more about their disciplines talk a bit more about how they're connected to one health so that other people can see and say ah My discipline is not, even if it's not public health or it's not a doctor or veterinarian, I have a part to play in in maintaining uh, or in, in promoting the sustainability of my future through my expertise, through what I've learned. It's possible. So that's what we kind of started doing. And now we're using all this information to sort of fuel the creation of this game of ours. Because at the end of it all, we want to be able to create sustainable training tools, sustainable training exercises that help people to learn more, learn sustainably, but also have fun.
0: That's great, Thomas. So we'll, we'll definitely connect, uh, add some links to, uh, to your, your work and your, uh, and your, your descriptions of that uh, in the episode mm-hmm. notes as well so others can access it. Yes. So Thomas, just to wrap up here, I'd like to ask you, same thing I ask all of our other guests, anybody you'd like to thank um, or people you'd like to thank along the way who've helped you gain some of these opportunities and, and mm-hmm. sort of progress to where you are?
1: Yes, definitely. I mean, everybody. <laughs> I, I think for me, I have been very lucky. Just um, a lot of opportunities have come my way and and I I thank God for just taking them, you know, taking them as they come and and exploring and seeing where it leads to. So my parents for always being there and always supporting me up until this point and always continuously supporting my supervisor, Nicolas Antoine Monsieur. He believed in me and got me to work at the university and to to work on something that I love to do, you know, and to use this with the students to be able to say that this work that um, Thomas is doing. We want to integrate this into the university. Let him use it with the students as well. So giving me the opportunity to express myself and to grow in these areas, uh, it's it's a it's a huge deal for me, you know. And everyone around you as well, Robert. I mean, we spoke about this, and here I am doing a podcast talking about my life. So thanks so much for the opportunity. Everything I feel at the end, are opportunities that come, and sometimes just take it and see where it leads you, you know.
0: I'm still waiting for you to thank the person who came to buy vegetables that day, uh, Thomas.
1: The person that, that came to buy what? <laughs> the person who came to buy
0: vegetables on the farm you're <laughs> working on. <laughs> yes,
1: exactly. That, that sounds to me like the, the most
0: critical person yes, in the process. So. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so whoever he is, he I hope he came. enjoyed his produce and glad he, glad he met you I along promise,
1: the way. I promise, yeah. <laughs> he just came in and we spoke and he was like, okay, I have a number for you. Take this, call the person, you know? Yes. Super kind, super open, man. It's, it's incredible. The kindness that is present in the world, honestly.
0: That's great. So, thank you very much, Thomas, for taking the time for us. We'll uh, we'll
1: thank wrap you. it up there.
0: Uh, hopefully, hopefully, we'll be certainly following along your progress and uh, and be able to have some more uh, some more items to share on One Health in the coming months. And we certainly look forward to seeing the progress of your uh, of your game approach as well. Having been uh, somebody who grew up on some of those choose your own adventure books as a young child, I appreciate ah, fully appreciate <laughs> the concept. I'm not sure if everyone gets a chance to have them all the time, but uh, certainly I was yes. lucky enough to get those as, as youngster, and that, that kept me reading probably longer than I would have initially. Mm. Uh, but I do think uh, I do think it's a very innovative approach, and hopefully, uh, hopefully, many more people can experience it in the coming months as they follow your work and uh, and the progress you're making.
1: Thank you so much.
0: To make a suggestion of someone that would make a great guest or topic you would like to hear more about, please visit us at labop.org.
1: That's L A B O P P.org.